This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to the fun and challenging Best Fiends for supporting Disturbed. Best Fiends is the binge-worthy mobile puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week... I'm bringing you one extended, true, horrifying tale that will keep you on the edge of your seat. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. Now this week the show is going to be slightly different as I bring you one extended story that needed to be a standalone episode, but it does carry with it a very important message that we can all take something away from. So with that, we open the show hearing from Reddit user Minnie Bairdon featuring voice work by Matt Bradford, and we meet the man named Steve. The story I'm going to tell you happened over the course of roughly five or six years. Names have, of course, been changed. When I was in college, I met this dude named Steve. He was good-looking, well-spoken, and confident. He was instantly well-liked by most of the people that he met. But he was a bit intimidating to me at first due to the fact that he was pretty jacked and didn't speak to me a whole lot in the beginning. I mean, here I was, an 18 going on 19 fat kid with an inferiority complex that made me act out to get attention. I would wear women's clothes to class to get a laugh or interrupt the professors with a witticism here and a joke there, again for a laugh. I was that kid. You know, the one people didn't exactly dislike but weren't too eager to hang out with because I could be a bit much at times. This did nothing to help with my feelings of inadequacy, and I didn't make the connection there until a couple years later. Now, Steve and I didn't exactly become fast and hard friends, because I got pretty drunk at a party once and he decided instantly that I was annoying. Still, we were civil to each other, and we were in the same department and had a couple of classes together. We kind of hung out with different crowds too, even inside the department. Steve had recently been kicked out of boot camp in the military. 
He told everyone that it was because he had injured himself badly enough that he had been discharged, but that wasn't true. However, we'll get to that part later. So, cut to about three or four months after my first meeting with Steve, and I'd been invited by a mutual friend, Corey, to come to a small get-together at his place where he incidentally was roommates with Steve. I told Corey that I was kind of wary of Steve and I felt like he didn't like me, to which he replied that I was right, and that's why he wanted me to come over. He wanted me and Steve to get to know each other better because he was positive we would become friends if we just gave each other a chance. And after some more prodding, I finally agreed. When I arrived at Corey's house, there were maybe three other people from the department there. It seemed like a pretty chill setting. There was some alcohol being passed around, and I drank a little bit but I kept my distance from Steve. After a couple of hours and quite a few beers, I was starting to feel pretty good. Someone brought out a couple of joints and those started getting passed around the room. When one of them made its way to me, Steve spoke up. Don't bother passing it to him, he said with a mocking laugh. He's a goody good. I'm not exactly sure why he said that or even thought that. It might have been because I once mentioned in passing that I'd never smoked weed before. Regardless of why he said it, it made me mad that he was making fun of me. So I did what any 19-year-old drunk dude would do. I grabbed the joint and took the biggest hit I could possibly take. This, as anyone who has ever smoked knows, is a huge mistake for a marijuana virgin when quality kush is handed to him. After my coughing fit and all the laughter at my expense had subsided, I looked at Steve challengingly, and he just kind of nodded in my direction before resuming his conversation. Now, no one told me that you shouldn't mix alcohol and weed. Had I stopped there, I would have been fine. However, I continued to drink, which exasperated all the stuff that comes along with being high. And by the time I knew I was high, I was starting to get paranoid. I am, or at least was, a bit of a hypochondriac. A dry mouth felt like my tongue was swelling up and my throat was starting to close. And the feeling of almost weightlessness that sometimes accompanies being high made me feel like I wasn't anchored to the floor anymore. The time dilation that you experience with weed made me feel like I was literally frozen in time. I started to panic. By this point, everyone else had gone home and it was just me, Steve, and Corey. I explained to Corey that I thought I was allergic to weed because I wasn't feeling right. And oddly enough, Steve asked me to explain what I was feeling. When I did, he walked me through all of it and calmed me down. And once I was calm, he put a controller in my hand and we played video games until I sobered up enough to drive. I mean, it was honestly really cool of him. And it was the start of one of the best friendships I've ever had. Until it became the worst, most abusive relationship I've ever been in. Over the next year or so, Steve and I became really close. I considered him one of my best friends. Being around him was almost like a drug. He always had this way of making you feel like you mattered. I know now that he was a complete sociopath, but you don't really see those signs until it's too late. He harassed me until I started working out with him, which meant I had more energy and confidence in myself. I got into pretty decent shape. I mean, I wasn't ripped. I wasn't even what most people would call fit, but I wasn't that fat kid anymore. He would come by my house and force me to go out and do stuff. And before I became friends with him, I was kind of a loser and a hermit. He would go to the lake just to dick around or, or go hiking in the woods or any number of outdoorsy type activities. And for the first time in years, I had confidence in myself and I was actually quite happy. Enter Lisa. Now, Lisa was the love of my life. Now, the one who got away or rather the one that I stupidly dumped twice over a five-year relationship because I was scared. 
Now, she's not a huge part of the ballad of Steve, but she plays a role. She had come to my hometown to go to school, and she had a boyfriend back home, but we clicked immediately. I know you're wondering, and no, we didn't hook up or anything while she was with him. She made her intentions toward me clear, and I made it clear that nothing would happen while she was dating someone else. One day she told me she'd been considering breaking things off with him as he was a bit controlling and dickish, and the next day she walked right up to me and kissed me full on the mouth. When I started to push her away, she laughed and said, I broke up with Jason last night. You're mine now. I smiled back, and our relationship began. I apologize for getting into these details that have nothing to do with Steve. It was just an immensely happy time of my life, and I never would have had the confidence to flirt with Lisa in the first place if it weren't for Steve. The next year after Lisa and I got together was rather uneventful. I will admit there were some red flags with Steve that I either didn't see or just outright ignored. Looking back on it now, one of the most obvious is that one day I was hanging out with Lisa when Steve showed up. She had always gotten a bad vibe from him, rightly so, and so when he showed up, she left to go to class 45 minutes early. Watching her walk away, Steve said, I could take her from you if you wanted. I gave him an incredulous look, slightly panicking that this man who called himself my friend might actually want to and be able to sway Lisa to date him instead. He laughed at my expression and added, Don't worry, I don't want her. She's like uh, six at best. I mean, she's perfect for you, but I prefer my bitch is a little thinner and much hotter. Just thought you should know that if I wanted, I could take her from you. It should be noted that Lisa was thin, if curvaceous, and absolutely gorgeous in a very classical way. I am now convinced that Steve actually was attracted to her, but he saw himself as the alpha and needed to assert his dominance over me, one of his perceived betas and I'm ashamed to admit that it worked. I did get angry, and told him not to talk to or about my girlfriend in such a gross manner, but once he gave a half-hearted apology, I just kind of shrugged it off. The next year, there were even more red flags that I chose to ignore. I know the story is moving rather quickly right now. Those first couple of years weren't really that bad. I mean, yeah, Steve was starting to show his true colors, but the really horrible shit was still to come. And also, if you're keeping track, I was at a two-year college for three years. That's just how long it took me to get my associate's degree, but that's neither here nor there. Steve started dating one of the freshmen in our department. I heard from others that the relationship was incredibly psychologically abusive on his end, but I kept brushing it off because the girl he was dating hadn't spoken up and, well, Steve was a good guy, right? I mean, I hadn't witnessed it. Other people must have been misinterpreting Steve's unusual sense of humor in a way that painted him in a bad light in their minds. I was unaware at the time that of course she wouldn't speak out against him because that's what psychological abuse is. It's gaslighting and insults, and ensuring that the victim believes himself to be absolutely worthless and deserving of the treatment that they receive. During the end-of-year departmental party, I proposed to Lisa, and she said yes. When Lisa and I graduated from the college with an associate's degree, we decided to move to a new school altogether. Now, despite the fact that our relationship grew stronger than ever without Steve in our lives, a dot that I didn't connect due to still being firmly in his psychotic grasp, the college we decided to transfer to was absolute garbage. And after the year was over, we had decided to transfer again to a better and cheaper school this time about an hour away. Coincidentally, it was the same school that Steve now attended. That summer, Lisa moved back to her hometown while transitioning between schools, and I ended things with her for the first time over the phone. Shitty, I know. We were like five hours apart since I had stayed behind to live on campus and work, 
and neither of us could find the time to visit the other. The only reason I can logically come up with was that I was scared of the commitment. I mean, I've always said that when I marry, I want it to be for life. I got in my own head and started to worry about whether or not Lisa was the person I really wanted to spend the rest of my life with. When I moved to the new city, Steve helped me get an apartment in the same complex where he and Corey, the friend from earlier, both lived. We were in separate buildings, but the apartments were set up in a way that the courtyard between the two buildings was only like 40 feet across. I could actually see into Steve's basement apartment window from my second floor one when we both had our blinds open. There were many times that I would glance out the window while playing video games or something and Steve would catch my eye and wave me over. So I would obediently turn my game off and head over to his place to smoke a little weed and watch one of his four DVDs for the billionth time. During this time in my life, I became a major alcoholic. I'm fairly certain that Steve realized this was happening, but said nothing because he wanted to be able to hold it over me later, and he may have contributed to my alcoholism a bit. He began to use the same bullying tactics he had once enjoyed to get me to work out and go do things. This time he was using them to get me to go out drinking. I mean, if I told him that I had class early the next day or homework that needed doing, he would just wave it off and tell me we would be back in plenty of time for me to get my homework done or get plenty of sleep. We would often stay out until 2 in the morning when the bars closed or later if he met someone cool and decided we were going to their house to hang for a little bit afterward. If I said I didn't have money, he would promise to pay for me, but at the end of the night I would get a bill I could barely afford and he would explain that he clearly meant he would pay for the first couple of rounds and if I drank more than that it was my fault. Several times I had to borrow money from him to pay rent, which put me further in his control. I would like to take a brief break and address the elephant in the room. I realized that every single one of the previously mentioned problems stemmed from me. I could have moderated my drinking, I could have told him no when he asked me to go out, I could have realized sooner that he was never truly going to pay my bar tab or that we weren't going to be home early. I take responsibility for all these things. That being said, something you have to understand about Steve is that he would gaslight and make me feel like I was being a bad friend if I told him no, despite having a very valid reason for the refusal. What I'm trying to do by telling you this part is, is point out that he was never the good friend that I thought he was, or he would have pointed out that I was drinking too much. I mean, would it have stopped me? As I now know from the numerous attempts by another, really true friend, no it wouldn't. But at least in hindsight I would be able to say, you know, Steve tried to get me to stop drinking. He was a good friend. Anyway, back to the story. So, some months after moving to the new city, Steve introduced me to a friend of his from out of town, Jennifer. She was a very pretty woman with dyed red hair, styled into a pixie cut. She was thin, with an athletic build and a gorgeous face. She was honestly every straight man's dream. Not only that, but she was intelligent, funny, quick-witted, compassionate, and kind. I instantly developed a crush on her, but I'm sure she was out of my league. I asked Steve if she was seeing anyone, though, because at that point I still had some confidence. He told me she wasn't and asked if I liked her. I said yes. He assured me that he would try to get a feel for what she thought of me. Cut to a few days later, and Steve is now dating her. This confused the shit out of me. Because when he introduced us, they, they kept making jokes about how neither of them was really interested in the other, and they would never work as a couple. I think even back then I knew that he had done his psychological fuckery to get her to date him so that he could, once again, assert his dominance over me. But I shrugged it off, happy that my friend had finally found a girl to make him forget that freshman he'd been dating a couple years ago. 
He had constantly moaned about missing her when she finally got the courage to tell him to fuck off one night after he called her fat. She was maybe 95 pounds. Over the next few weeks, I started to notice that Jen was looking more and more exhausted and haggard. When I asked if she was doing okay, she would just smile and assure me that her workload was just getting to her. We had started to become friends, so I asked her not to hesitate in coming to me if there was anything I could do to help her. She thanked me for the kind gesture, but again said she would be fine. I would later find out that Steve was treating her just the same as he treated his previous girlfriend. Well, she apparently told Steve about my offer to help, thinking it was sweet that I wanted to help her. And as you might guess, Steve flew off the fucking handle. I'd never seen him so angry. He came to my apartment banging on the door fit to break it down and screaming at me to get my two-faced ass out in the hallway so he could kill me. I didn't know it at the time, but Steve had started taking steroids, which explained part of his unfounded rage. After nearly an hour of him pacing my living room, threatening me and yelling loud enough to wake the whole damn neighborhood, I was finally able to convince him that my intentions were nothing but friendly toward Jen now. Broco dictated that even if the two of them broke it off, I wasn't going to pursue her since she dated one of my best friends. Once he finally believed that I wasn't trying to stuff his girl like a Thanksgiving turkey, as he put it, it was like a switch was flipped. Suddenly, we were best friends again, and his earlier rage seemed to have been forgotten as if it never had happened. He dumped Jen shortly after. My guess is that he realized I had no romantic interest in her anymore and therefore couldn't use his relationship with her to needle me and control me. I only saw her a handful of times after that. The last time I saw her, she looked so much happier. Yet another sign about Steve I either didn't see or chose to ignore. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with the story. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Now picture this. It's just a normal evening. We eat dinner as always. Maybe talk about the day, work or school. Everything is as it always is. But then out of nowhere, I'm gone, vanished without a trace. Your heart is pumping. You can't find me anywhere. And then you do finally find me, just scoring some quality alone time with best fiends. Now, others might wonder about your mysterious disappearances, but if you're having as much fun playing best fiends as I am, 
It's no wonder why you just have to sneak off and play. And I've been playing so much recently that I'm already up to level 248 and counting. And I have to tell you, there's just nothing like that unbeatable rush of adrenaline you get when you beat a level and move up. For me personally, it's one of the best ways I've found to unwind and de-stress after a day of working on Disturbed, or even just in between recording sessions. Now I've been playing for over a year now and I can honestly say the game helps to keep me mentally sharp and even a bit more focused after I've finished up a session of playing. And one of the most fun parts of the game is being able to have fun and engaging competitions with your friends. Once you find that person to go back and forth with and brag about what level you're up to and compete with, it just unlocks a whole new dimension of fun to the game. You can power up your favorite fiends to new levels and even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. And brand new events and challenges pop up all year round, so you always have a chance to earn exclusive in-game items, characters, and rewards. We here at Disturbed love Best Fiends and have yet to find a better way to pass the time in between recording and editing the show, so I'm confident it's a game that you'll find just as fun and beneficial as I do. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play, plus earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now back to the horror. About a month after the yelling incident, Lisa and I got back together. She was incredibly distrustful and wary of me at this point, and rightly so. I had broken her heart for no other reason that I was an idiot. Over time, she began to trust me with her emotions again. This was a mistake on her part, and I don't mean that to sound cruel. Perhaps I'd picked up some things from Steve. I know that I was fairly manipulative. I'm more ashamed of that than I can ever portray with words. I hate myself to this day for some of the ways I treated her during our second stint as a couple. Lisa was still uncomfortable around Steve, and she would often leave if we were hanging out and Steve showed up. He never seemed to catch on that she didn't want to be around him. Things were made far worse when we went to a house party one night and Steve groped her. Again, I'm incredibly ashamed to admit what I did when she came to me in tears of rage and disgust and told me what happened. I'm ashamed because the first thing out of my mouth was, Steve wouldn't do that. Maybe you just misunderstood what was going on. He smacked my ass and grabbed my chest. She practically yelled at me. All right, I said. I'll go talk to him. I should have just cut him out right then and there. I should have taken Lisa home. I should have went and knocked Steve the fuck out. He should have done a lot of things, but I've always been a people pleaser. And Steve brought this out of me in the worst way. When I asked Steve about the situation, he told me that he had grabbed her waist to get around her in the kitchen, which was crowded, and that he accidentally brushed her breasts while reaching for a bottle of rum. And I fucking believed him. I went back to Lisa and conveyed what had been told to me. And after a lot more enraged tears and yelling, she left. I she didn't just dump my stupid harassment apologist victim-blaming ass right then, I still don't know. When Steve appeared a few minutes later and explained what had happened, he put on a faux sympathetic face and said with a chuckle, Let's find you a hot drunk bitch who wants to give a blowjob. Even back then, I knew that was a red flag, and I do not have sex with drunk women, but I still ignored the signs. I didn't cheat, but I ignored the signs. Lisa didn't speak to me for a week, and she was right to do so. She should have never spoken to me again. For the next few months, things with Steve were a bit strained and we didn't hang out much. Things with Lisa improved again now that Steve wasn't around as much. We were even talking about moving in together. 
this would not ever happen because I was going to break up with her again before long. I didn't know I was going to do this at the time, but it was going to happen. When it did happen, there were no tears like the last time. There was no pleading that we could make it work. Lisa simply fixed me with an emotionless, almost dead gaze and said, My sister told me not to trust you again. I should have listened. Get your shit and get out of my apartment. Now I really wish that she had just left it at that. But over the next couple of years, we would go on to have a few stints as friends with benefits. As we both knew what the other wanted in bed and it was just easier for both of us, I think, being highly sexual beings, to find comfort with each other when we wanted sex. I obviously obliged. There were no feelings in it for her, it was just sex. We never got back together, but we became sort of a facsimile of friends again after a while. Shortly after our breakup, I became immensely depressed. I didn't realize that it was because I was still in love with Lisa. Why would I be? I'd broken things off with her. Regardless, I started drinking even more and stopped working out. I started regaining all the weight I'd lost during my freshman year of college and Steve noticed, often remarking that I was a fat fuck. I never really minded it, because I was used to my weight being the butt of every other joke. And besides, he always said it with a laugh to let me know that he was only joking. Way good friends always insult each other, right? At the same time, I started hanging out with him again. One day he came to me asking if I wanted to move into a house with him. I politely declined because I like living alone, and my rent was relatively cheap for where I lived. He called me a pussy and got unreasonably angry, saying that I owed him everything. He proceeded to scream at me for half an hour. He didn't speak to me for three days, but did eventually calm down. He never apologized for his ridiculous outbursts, though. When he moved out, another mutual friend took his apartment after having just gone through a bad breakup of his own, and I started hanging out with this new friend, Mark, quite a bit since he was just across the courtyard and Steve was a couple miles away. During this time, I met a man through Mark who would go on to become one of the two best friends that I've ever had, and one of the most amazing people I've ever known. Enter Nick. You remember that friend from earlier who I said regularly tried to get me to stop drinking? That's Nick. He was, and is, a man who, for some reason, I never want to disappoint. And even today, being mostly sober, a huge part of what keeps me from drinking is the idea that if Nick found out, I would be more ashamed of myself than if I publicly shit my pants in front of the woman of my dreams. Personally, that to me is the mark of a true friend, mostly because Nick never asked or expected me to feel this way. In fact, I think he's a little uncomfortable with it, but it's not something I can just turn off. Nick and I hit it off fairly quickly and started hanging out regularly. It was with Nick and his circle of friends, all of whom I proudly call my own friends, that a Dungeons & Dragons group was started that lasted nearly four years. Nick plays a bigger, if not huge, part in this story later. Things continued this way for maybe half a year before I finally decided to take Steve up on his offer and move into the house with him, mostly because money was tight and my bills would go down. His current roommates had moved away for whatever reason, and he had a couple vacancies. I took one room, and a friend of his from when he was in boot camp, Greg, took the other. For a while, things were awesome. Steve had apparently become Catholic. He was off the juice. It was like I had my old friend back from the days when we first started becoming chummy. He, Greg, and I would often go on road trips, or go out to the bars, or just go to some outdoor attractions around the city and walk around. Now... Remember that I said Steve had been discharged from the military and claimed it was due to an injury? Well, it turns out that was not true at all. 
And one night Steve was at work, Greg and I were hanging out with some beers and somehow the topic came up. You know he was crazy, eh? Greg asked. What do you mean? I said. Well, he was kicked out before he finished boot camp. Really? He told me that he suffered some kind of injury and they had to let him go. After I said this, an incredulous look came over Greg's face and he turned slowly to look at me. He then proceeded to tell me that what Steve had told me was an utter lie. He told me that Steve had had reason to suspect that his then-wife was cheating on him and had been overheard by a commanding officer saying that when he finished boot camp, he was going to murder them both and the daughter that he and his wife had. He had been given an in-depth psychological evaluation and been discharged for essentially being too insane for the military. I later confirmed this with some of Steve's childhood friends. At this point, I was starting to realize who Steve really was, thinking back on some of the interactions I had with him. Unfortunately, I was stupidly loyal to someone I perceived to be a good friend. At some point, I invited Nick to come over and hang out to play video games and whatnot, and when Steve met Nick, he immediately called him fat. Now, Nick was at the time a large man, but he has since made enormous strides in his fitness journey. I mean, shout out to Nick for your hard work if you're listening to this. You look great. Regardless, I remember the look of utter disbelief on Nick's face, but I defended Steve by saying that was just how he made friends. If he wasn't calling you names, then it meant he didn't like you. By the way, can, can we stop that shit? Treating people like shit as a way to break the ice is fucking terrible. I'm guilty of it in the past, and I hate that I used to do it, but... Anyway, not relevant. I could tell Nick was skeptical, but he just kind of went with it. I think he kind of resented me for not defending him, but he never said so. I don't blame him if he did. A few weeks after the conversation with Greg, Steve had a friend of his own from out of town stay with us for a weekend. Greg was out of town for work or something. I forget the details as they aren't important. Before this friend of Steve arrived, he told me that she was fat, but pretty, and if I wanted to bone down with her, I had his blessing. This did not sit well with me, not only because of how he described her, which I learned wasn't true when she arrived, because he felt the need to give his permission for two of his friends to have sex with each other. I kept my mouth shut, though. They forget the woman's name, but she was a very pretty woman. I mean, she was curvaceous, but in no way fat. I was confused as to why Steve would describe her as such. She and I got along really well from the start. That night, she and Steve slept together. Again, I'm fairly certain he slept with her because he could tell I was taking a liking to her. I mean, I wasn't falling over myself to get into a relationship with her, but I did like her quite a bit. Steve had to once again assert his dominance over me. Well, the next day we all had lunch at a local restaurant, and Steve essentially left his friend and myself to drive his car back to the house while he wandered off to do God knows what. I was infuriated that he would do that, not necessarily the leave us part. The fact that his friend had come to town specifically to visit him and he just bailed on her for no real reason. She and I spent the day watching movies and playing video games. We talked quite a bit about Steve as he was our one common link, and a lot of things came to light about Steve that I won't mention here because I don't want to be talking about this for the next two weeks. He didn't respond until about midnight when I sent a text telling him it was kind of shitty of him to just leave his friend with me when she had come to see him. The text I got back just read, Mind your fucking business, fatty. I'll be home when I get home. He finally rolled up around 10 the next morning as his friend was getting ready to leave. He was driving a motorcycle that I'd never seen before. He barely said goodbye to the woman as she was leaving, and when the door was shut, I, I rounded on him. Where the fuck were you, dude? I demanded, feeling myself getting angrier by the word at what he had done. Not that it's any of your fucking business, but I was helping a friend bury a body, he shot back as he walked into his room. 
I knew instantly that this was a lie. I had this intuition when it came to Steve. I could almost always tell when he was lying. And this one was so outlandish that I didn't even need to consider it to know it was absolute bullshit. Now you fucking warrant, I said under my breath. What was that, fatty? He said, coming back into the room shirtless and getting into my face. I gently pushed him away from me and he looked utterly dumbfounded. He couldn't believe I would ever stand up to him like that. I said, you're lying, I retorted quickly, enunciating. But if you want to treat your friends like shit when they travel four hours just to hang out with you for a couple of days, then be my guest. We stood there glaring at each other for a few seconds before he deflated and looked slightly ashamed, which shocked the hell out of me. I was with a girl I've been dating, he said softly. So you invited a friend to stay with us, I said, my anger rising again. Cheated on your girlfriend with her, bailed on us, and then fucking lied to me about it? Fuck you, you fucking douchebag. I turned on my heel and stormed up to my room. Fairly certain Steve threw something at me, but missed, because I heard a thump on the wall just to the left of the doorway as I walked through. I didn't stop to find out. I didn't see or speak to Steve for a couple of days after that. It wasn't until Gray came home from his trip and noticed that we weren't spending time together and were acting a bit coldly towards one another that our friendship started to repair a bit. Most of that was due to Greg yelling at us that he wasn't going to live with a couple of bitches who couldn't get their shit together and act like adults. Despite our relationship repairing slightly, things were never really the same after that. Over the next few months, Steve started to sell drugs and always kept a loaded gun in the house. I specifically remember him telling me one day that some guy was going to be coming over to give him some money that he was owed. And if he showed up while Steve was at work, I was supposed to take the money, count it, and put it on his bedroom desk. I didn't know he was dealing at the time, and so assumed it was just a guy who owed him money. I just agreed and went back to playing my video game as he left for work. Steve got home from work before the guy showed up, and there was a knock at the door. Steve came out of his bedroom with his gun in hand and held a finger to his lips. He opened the door to reveal a man standing on the porch with a wad of cash in his hand. Steve immediately pointed the gun in his face, cocked the hammer back, and started screaming at him to drop the fucking money on the ground and get the fuck off his porch. As the dude was fleeing in terror, Steve yelled at him that if he ever saw him again, he would kill him. Of course, I was immediately distressed by what I had just witnessed, but I was equally terrified. When he turned to me with a huge grin after collecting the money from the porch and closing the door, I just gave a weak smile and ignored the whole thing. I learned later that he was back on steroids when this happened. During this time, Steve would regularly come home late at night, three sheets to the wind, ranting about one ethnic group or another. The one that sticks out in my mind the most was when he stumbled in so drunk that he could barely string together a coherent thought. He was yelling about globalism and how the Chinese were trying to take over the world. He mumbled a string of words I couldn't make out and then shouted as clear as day, Ping Ling, followed by another string of unintelligible bullshit, and finally, Fucking our daughters! As the last word left his lips, he immediately fell to the floor and began to sob. I had no idea what to do. If I tried to help him, I knew he would get violent toward me. In the end, I did nothing. I just went to my room. A few weeks after that particularly lovely incident, Steve and I got into an argument about something that I, I can't remember. He stormed off to his room, and I thought it was over. I knew from experience that given time and distance, he would calm down. I mean, he would never apologize, but at least the situation would de-escalate. I was wrong this time. Ten minutes later, he came crashing back into the living room, gun in hand, and pointed it in my face. He was yelling that if I wasn't going to respect him, that he might as well just kill me. You're not going to shoot me, 
I said far more calmly than I felt. Inside, I was shitting my pants, despite the fact that I did honestly believe he wouldn't shoot me. I had been around guns before, but I, I never had one pointed at me. Yeah, he said. Why do you think that? I know it, I replied. I know you're not going to shoot me because I'm one of the few real friends you have left. He seemed to consider this for a moment and finally lowered the gun. His face was murder incarnate, but at least the gun wasn't pointed at me. Can you move, man? I asked. I'm trying to watch Netflix. He continued to stare at me for a long time, seeming to be internally fighting with himself before finally stomping back to his room. I didn't see him again for the rest of the night. A few days later, Stephen Gregg asked me to sit down when I came home from my third double in a row at the restaurant where I worked. I asked why, and they said we needed to talk about me living there. I told them there was no need. I was moving out. They seemed satisfied with this, and I went to my room to get some much-needed sleep. As a side note, as I was moving out, I accidentally broke the handle off the storm door and Steve lost his mind. He was screaming at me and calling me all kinds of names, including the N-word. I assured him that I would replace it, but he just kept calling me names. Nick was helping me move out at the time, and once we were away from the house, he gave me a look that spoke volumes. I know, I said. I know. Part of the reason I'm moving out. I didn't say anything, he replied. Ah, you don't have to, I said. And this was the point that I finally snapped and realized that Steve was nothing but a toxic piece of shit. It took someone I hadn't known for very long giving me a single fucking look for that puzzle piece to finally fall into place and make me go, fuck this bag of dicks. After I moved out, I only saw Steve once more. I was coming out of class on the university campus and he drove up on his motorcycle and started trying to make conversation but I just made some lame excuse about needing to get to work or home or something and walked away. About a year later, I blocked Steve completely on all social media when he commented on a Facebook post and called my mom a cunt. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner. About a year after that, Nick and I were at the mall. Being on a bit of a time crunch and needing things from different stores, we decided to head to different directions and meet up in the food court. I finished what I needed to do first and was standing in front of the Dairy Queen waiting for Nick to meet me when I got a phone call from him. What's up? I said by way of answering. I just saw Steve, he said without preamble. He was going into the store I was coming out of. He didn't need to tell me which Steve. He knew most of the worst of what I've put in this story by this point, although I'm sure some of these anecdotes would surprise even him. My heart seemed to seize and I felt like I couldn't breathe. I hadn't seen or spoke to Steve in over two years, and the thought of coming face to face with him now filled me with dread. Hello? You there? Yeah, I said, finally finding my voice. I'll meet you at the car. That's why I told you. I'll be out in a bit. I practically sprinted to the car and just kept praying to whatever gods might exist that Nick would be out soon. I went over and over in my mind what I would say or do if Steve showed up. Luckily, I never had to find out what I would have actually done or said because Nick appeared quickly and we left. That was the last I heard of Steve. The incidents that are portrayed in the story are not everything that happened over the course of my relationship with Steve. There were more including more death threats, a physical altercation, more name-calling, and insurance fraud that Steve decided to rope me into without my knowledge. These were just the worst or more poignant incidents that needed to be told in order to paint Steve as he truly exists. Were I likely to tell the entire story of Steve, it would likely end up being a whole-ass audiobook. A lot of it, while terrible, isn't really all that relevant in the grand scheme of things. So, there's the Ballad of Steve. Now, I know at this point you're wondering to yourself why I didn't just leave Steve in the dust a long time ago. 
why didn't I just walk away from that friendship at the first sign of trouble? Well, there are a few reasons. First and foremost, as I said, Steve was a sociopath. Sociopaths are extremely versed in making people trust them, even as they treat them like trash. Not to mention, he gaslit me and made me feel as though a lot of the smaller incidents were my fault. That, in turn, led to me believing the bigger problems were my fault. This is how psychological abusers keep control. Secondly, I am a loyal friend to a fault. I will see the best in people I care about even as they stab me in the back and beat me down. This is a fault of mine that I am working on now. I only saw the terrible in Steve when he treated another friend I was loyal to like shit. And third, part of me was terrified to walk away. There was a piece of me that was scared, and sometimes still is since I blocked him, that he would get it in his head to kill me because I rejected him. This is again part of the conditioning that abusers do. Regardless, I'm much happier now and glad that the whole ordeal is behind me. I'd like to end on this final note. If you are in a relationship of any kind where you're starting to see red flags, don't ignore them like I did. I explained away a lot of red flags that Steve was waving proudly and I regret it to this day. I was lucky and I got out of the most toxic friendship I've ever known with only some psychological trauma and having my confidence shattered. But it could have ended so much fucking worse. If you need help getting out, seek it immediately. Leave everything behind if you have to. Things can be replaced. You can't. Anyway, thanks for listening to this. And Steve, please stay wherever you move to. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget to head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to send in your own true terrifying tale. Disturbed is produced by yours truly, funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed, featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to learn more. And let's shout out our newest supporters, Lindsay Shaheen, Marley Harper, Marcus Alcock, and LaDonna New. They all get instant access to our catalog of bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and 24-hour early episode releases, and you can too, over at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio, co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Thanks for listening. We'll be off next week, but we'll be back with new episodes starting on July 14th. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.